Friends, if you would please uh, turn back uh, to God's words, turn to uh, Luke chapter 9 as we continue our series in, in uh, this first part of Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke chapter 9 to the beginning of the chapter, just uh, to those verses from 1 to 3 to verse 6. Regardless of um, what line of work you're in today, or regardless of what line of work you uh, have been in, I suppose one thing you will definitely have noticed is the rise in uh, what we see as sort of practical training uh, for jobs and for employment. The rise in practical training for jobs. So whether it's teaching that you're in, or have been in, or whether it's medicine, dentistry, or even if it is uh, ministry training. More and more, we're seeing the benefit, not just of people sitting in a classroom uh, constantly, uh, hours and hours and hours on end, but we're seeing the benefit of, from time to time, people getting out and putting what they have learned into practice. That's the case right across the board, isn't it? So we are seeing the rise in what we might think of as being Quite simply, placements. Okay, lots of you are very, very familiar with placements. Well, as we open God's word this morning, I think that's almost what we're facing or what we're faced with here, isn't it? In Luke chapter 9. Way back, what was it? Chapter 5, I think it was. Way back in chapter 5, what Jesus had done has he's called 12 disciples to himself. That was way back in chapter 5. And you think about all that they have seen since then. Since chapter 5, they've seen all of these incredible miracles, haven't they? And these 12, they've, they've heard all of this amazing teaching from Jesus. But here's what happens. And part of their training, as part of their equipping, what Jesus does here is send these men out now on what is a short Placement. It's a short placement. You'll, if you look ahead, you'll see that they're back with Jesus by, what is it? I think it's by verse 10. So here, Jesus sends these men out to put what they have learned from him and to put it into practice. And believe me this morning, friends, brothers in here, sisters in here, there's much in this section for us about the Christian life. I wonder what's happening with you just now. I mean, do you recognize as a Christian just now that you have been distracted away from living all out for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that that's happened? Or, or could it be that in your situation just now that you have been over these weeks and months wrestling with the idea of purpose? Purpose. What is your purpose? at this juncture of your life. Well, if that is you, come with me just now as we consider this commissioning of the disciples and and, and see here some essential aspects of our own calling, of our own mission, our own work that are underlined here by the Lord Jesus Christ for us as church. So let's pray and then let's look at these verses together. Join me, let's pray. We, O God, need you. And you have given us your word. You have promised to speak to us in your word. 
And so as a church in Dundee in the 21st century, we, we call out, prepare us right now by your spirit and then speak to us, Lord God, that we might hear from our maker and our savior in these moments, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, a few things to notice in these. It's a short section, isn't it? But a few things to notice. The first thing uh, for us to consider, I think, is number one, the assignment. That'll be the first thing for us to think about, the assignment uh, here in these verses. Now, as, uh, you just now, as you look back on your employment history for a second, if you look back on all the different sorts of jobs that you have had over the years, I wonder if you've ever had a job that's been so ill-defined that it's caused any issues or problems. A job that's been so kind of ill-defined, grayish, that it's kind of caused some, some issues or problems for you. I'm sure there are. I've been in that situation. I remember it just as a wee lad, a school kid, and I got a part-time job and I was working for this big hotel, this prestigious hotel in Inverness. And I remember on the, 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 the contract of employment, my, my job title was, uh, I think it was a member of staff. <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, that's a little bit vague. Uh, but I remember as a wee boy going along to the hotel, like dress, you know, white shirt, like try to be smart, black, you know, kecks, black shoes, and going up, and nobody having any idea what to do with me. So I arrived and I was just passed from one department of the hotel to the other. Nobody knew what my remit was, nobody had any idea what my responsibilities were. And I just ended up wandering the halls of the hotel for a while. What I want you to see is absolutely not like that here with Jesus and the disciples. Now, Jesus here does not gather in the 12 and say to them, right, off you go into the towns and cities and be disciple You know, away you go in the towns and cities and do some Christian type stuff. It's not vague. Do you notice that it is incredibly precise and exact? And I, I want you to see that there are two very clear tasks that Jesus calls these disciples to, to, to engage in. There's two of them. Can we put up uh, verses one and two, or you have a look at verses one and two. Let's look at the two tasks. Let's deal with the second one first. So it's the last word on the screen <laughs> that helps us. What, what do they have to do at the end of verse two? First thing they've got to go is go out and heal. Let's just call that the idea. They've got to go out and engage in works of mercy. So what's happened? Do you see what's happened? Like in verse 1, Jesus, we're told, has handed to the 12 power and authority. What's that? Jesus, the Son of God, has handed over to, to these 12 both the ability to perform miracles but he's also handed to them the right to do those miracles, power and authority. So what do the 12 do? They go out into the towns and the cities, and just as Jesus has been doing, these 12 are exercising demons, and they are performing miracles, and they are healing. Now, why? Come on, why? Like, why the healing? Is it, do you think, just to show that God loves everybody? Is that, that the idea here? Is that why they're healing? No, listen, partly they heal 
to authenticate the other task that they're called to. So do you see it on the screen? What's the second side of it? To heal, but we also read that primarily the apostles are sent out to preach, to heal, to preach. Now, of course, um, because it is one of uh, what we would call one of God's chief means of grace, of course, in the life of a church like ours, we talk a lot about preaching, don't we? That's right, I think. If it's a means of grace, one of God's chief means of grace, we talk a lot about preaching. This is what I'm going to ask you this morning, though. What, what do you think we would have heard if we were able to listen uh, to the apostles preaching as they go out in Luke chapter 9? What do you think we'd have heard? Like, we're, they're sent out into these villages in this time. What do you think we'd have heard? Can I just push that a little bit further, just for a moment? So let's say you and I are in one of those towns that they go out to. So we're in, what is it, like a town, you know, near the Sea of Galilee, first century. You and I are standing there. And we're standing there as two of the apostles come into town. So Mark's gospel Mark tells us that at this juncture, those disciples were sent out two by two. Okay, so we're standing there and a couple of uh, disciples, they, they come into town and let's say we're in the marketplace and it's buzzing and it's heaving and the apostles come in and, and then one of them stands up in this marketplace and he gathers people's attention and he begins to herald and announce and he begins to preach. What do you what, what are we hearing, do you think? Like, what would be the content of that preaching? Can I draw your attention to a couple of things in the text? Number one, what that would have been would have been kingdom preaching. Did you recognize, do you see it on the screen in, in verse two? They proclaimed, they heralded the, the kingdom of God. I'll put you to the test. How good's your memory? Like just a few weeks ago, we in here talked about the kingdom of God. Do you remember it at all? Do you remember? What, what is the kingdom of God? Let's start there. Do you, do you remember? Is it the kingdom of God? Is it a territory? Is it a location? Is it? Is it heaven? Is it a place? Do you remember what it is? The kingdom of God refers to, in scripture, it refers to the rule of Christ. So this is Christ exercising his reign in the lives of his people. That's the kingdom of God. And I'm hoping, as the minister here, I'm hoping you remember that we said there is a present and a future aspect to the kingdom of God. So as you and I are in that Middle Eastern town in the market square, and we're listening to an apostle, what are they declaring? They're declaring, yes, one day it's coming. One day God is going to fully consummate the reign of his son and every eye is going to see it. They're declaring that. What else are they declaring? They're actually declaring that in Jesus of Nazareth, this one born nearby, born to Mary, God has already burst into human history. As you listen to the apostle going out and preaching, what do you hear? They are saying, the kingdom of God, friends, it is now. The kingdom of God is near. It is, first of all, kingdom preaching. We see that. But I wonder if you got, did you get it in the text in the reading? There's another description of it as well. 
because most of you were, were here last week. And if you were, again, perhaps you'll recall that Luke used a particular device, didn't he, when he told us about Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood. Can you remember the word pairs that Luke used? Do you remember that double use of 12 years? Do you remember that? And, and the, use, the repeated use of daughter and the repeated use of falling before Jesus. So he used a device to help us. See, in this section here, Luke uses a different device. And it's a device where he begins the section, as you've got on the screen, and then he ends the section in the same way, to emphasize their task, to emphasize the preaching. Now, we've just seen that he describes the preaching here as kingdom preaching, so that's how he begins. But what is the description at the end? Tony, can you put up verse 6 for us? Friends, have a look at verse 6. How, did he, how does he describe the preaching of verse 6? Do you see it? Kingdom preaching and then what? Isn't it great? Those apostles, they preached the gospel. What does it mean? What do we hear as we listen to these apostles? Well, yeah, it means that they were declaring Christ's rule. But listen, friends, what they were doing as they go out into those towns and villages, they were showing that to be the good news that it is. So as you look at this portion of scripture, understand that they go out and they declare to all who will hear that though humanity is in darkness because of its rebellion against God, though humanity is ruined and enslaved, they're declaring that Christ has come for our benefit. They're going out and declaring that Christ Jesus has come to redeem people and to rescue people. Isn't it lovely? What do they declare? They declare that Christ is king, but they also declare that Christ is a savior, the savior from sin. Now, what we're doing right now at St. Peter's, you and I are looking into the first century world, aren't we? We're looking in at detail, looking at that original context. But always what we've got to do is to try to draw a line from that initial context and those towns and villages, and we've got to draw a line to 21st century Dundee from those villages right into to, to, to Fife, or, or rather to Angus and to Dundee. Now, as we try and think about application, what I want you to do is to take a step back and to think about what exactly Jesus is doing in sending out those 12. What's he doing? Like you could say to me, Andy, he's equipping them, right? And by sending them out, he's training them. But of course, you also see, don't you, that what Jesus is doing is extending his reach here. Does everybody see that? He's extending his reach. And the obvious thing to say is that by himself constrained by his humanity, Jesus is only able to go into one town at a time, isn't he? Jesus can only go into one village at a time, one city at a time. So do you see what he's doing? As he sends out the, the 12, he's extending the reach. He's, he's ensuring that the good news of the gospel goes further afield. Well, is it not at least somewhat exciting for you this morning to remember, Christian friend, that you have been enlisted by God's grace 
to that same gospel extension program. Like this is for you, for you, isn't it? You have been brought into this, enlisted into this. Though the exact nature of, of this placement, of course it was unique. What happens later in the Bible? What happens? Listen, all of God's people, every Christian, hears Jesus' words in Matthew 28. And what does he say to us? He says to us as well, go. Go into all of the world. Go. And so I want to repeat what I said at the start. Where are you this morning? Christian friend, do you see yourself as being distracted away from living for Christ's glory? Are you wrestling with the idea of purpose? then see here something of the great work that God has given you and me to do. Yes, we're to go out and engage in mercy ministry ourselves, aren't we? To support Blythewood, maybe. Or save families. To love our communities. But why? Partly to authenticate that principal role of the Christian church. Like these 12, we're to go out into the towns and cities and Proclaim the riches of Jesus Christ. Are we really wondering about our purpose? We're to go out and declare to anyone who will hear us that Christ is King. Christ has come. Christ is Lord. So we see the assignment, the twofold assignment for these 12. Second thing that I want us to notice here is the approach. So the assignment, but also the approach. This is not going to happen. This is never going to happen. Um, but if on the screen behind me, um, if we were to put up YouTube, uh, if we put the YouTube up, the app up, it's not easy to say. If we were, I'm going to try it again. If we were to put up the YouTube app on the screen, and if I was to sign in with my account, what you would see are loads and loads of videos. Uh, recommended videos for what is called bike packing. Believe it or not. So I have this uh, dream that will always remain unfulfilled completely, because I'm too old, obviously. And it's a dream of taking a gravel bike or a mountain bike and cycling some of these really famous trails in North America. Right? Yeah, some of you are laughing at me already. That's terrible. Uh, of cycling these great trails on a gravel bike and, and camping as you do. You take everything you need on your bike. You camp. You do day after day after day. And a dream that will obviously always remain unfulfilled. Now, if you look at some of these videos from people who have done that sort of thing, bikepacking, they, they, honestly, uh, they all say the same thing, the people that have done it. They, they say, don't make the silly mistake. Pack only what you absolutely need. Like, don't weigh that bike down. Don't take loads and loads of stuff that you might need because you're going to weigh yourself down. You're going to slow yourself down. So the number one rule I have learned from watching these videos, number one rule of bikepacking is what? Travel light. Now, as you and I have this portion of Scripture in front of us, and you now turn to think about how Jesus sends these men out... Look with me at verse 3. Jesus says to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff. Look how he breaks it apart. No staff, no, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. 
don't even have two tunics. So you can see, can't you? Jesus is saying the same. Jesus is saying to them, travel light. But why? I think there's a, a couple of reasons for this. Number one, they travel light for the benefit of the 12 themselves. See, I would ask you again just now, if you would, to try and put yourself into that first century context. But this time, what I would love you to do is try and put yourself into the shoes of the, these apostles and think about what you are being asked or they are being asked to do. Like, so they're being sent out for day after day after day after day and into the ancient world with hardly anything. Now, look on the, on the screen and notice some of the details about that. If that doesn't sound so bad to you, you're getting sent out for day after day after day into this difficult context and no bread. So into, into the situation in the ancient world with no food, right? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit uneasy about that. But then look what else Jesus says. And he says, and no money. So no food and not even money in that sort of a context. Not even money to buy food. So I would turn it to you as a Christian in here. What do you think you would be doing? Let me tell you exactly what you would be doing. Oh boy, you're praying. Aren't you? As you go out into that situation, you are pleading with God. Do you see it? It's traveling light. Why? To encourage a real dependence upon the living God, isn't it? Travel light for depending upon God. That's the first reason. Now, the, the second reason, travel light for the benefit of those people that you're going to meet. Travel light for the benefit of the people you're going to meet. D- did you pick up what we said in the first heading about healing and the purpose of the healing? Can you remember, please? So the disciples heal and they perform miracles. Part of the reason is to validate the truth, to authenticate the truth of the message of the gospel that they're bringing. Do you not think that traveling light was for a similar purpose? Let me think about it for a moment. So these disciples are preaching what? They're preaching Christ is king. They're preaching Christ is Lord. Do you know what they might be saying, though, in those marketplaces? They might be saying, and, and Christ is the bread of life. And they might be standing up in that ancient world, and, and they're saying, Christ is the place of genuine fulfillment. He alone can fulfill. Now, imagine that they're doing that dressed in the finest garments of the ancient world. Saying, Christ fulfills but at the same time, clearly hanging with money, you know? And they're, they're declaring Christ is the one who fulfills, and then they go off afterwards and they spend their money on the finest foods that the ancient world can provide. What is that going to do? That is surely going to undermine their message, isn't it? Isn't that going to compromise their message? And so what does Jesus do? He sends them off with next to nothing. Why? Surely to reinforce the the message that they have come to declare. Why do they travel light? One, for dependence upon God. Two, to reinforce the truth of the message of the fulfillment found in Jesus. 
Can I speak personally just for a moment? I just want to very briefly talk to you about my own journey with this portion of Scripture over the last few weeks. So you, you probably can imagine when Will or myself or Chris or somebody else are preaching something of a series, we look ahead you can imagine that. We don't just focus on this. We're, we've read through, if it's Exodus, we've read through. We know what's coming. We know what's on the horizon. You can imagine that, can't you? So I've had this portion of scripture just there on the horizon for just a little bit of time. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit concerned about it. You can see why. I mean, this is a particular commissioning, isn't it? For a particular group of people. It's not even for all the disciples. It's for the 12. And it's for a particular period of time. So I'm wondering, as that's in the distance, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are we going to do? Like, how, where's the line to St. Peter's? How does this apply to my life or to your life? Because it's so exact, so precise. And then do you know what's happened this week? I've got to it. And I get to this approach of traveling light. <laughs> and and I, all week, I've, I've felt really God pressing the burden of the incredible relevance of this portion of Scripture and this approach to a congregation like ours. And a reasonably affluent, what, how do you describe it? Middle class congregation, whatever we are in, in Dundee. I can see your relevance, and I think you can see it as well. Because I think we have to ask ourselves from this, is St. Peter's, are we traveling light? I think we probably all agree that as Christians, to a lesser or a greater extent, we're all probably a bit too caught up with material things in our lives just now. With stuff. Isn't that, would we disagree with that to a lesser or greater extent? We live in quite an unusual time, maybe. We live in a society that is insanely materialistic, don't we? And could it be said that we perhaps have been infected by that bug a little bit as Christians? All of these daily Amazon deliveries, <laughs> Right? And all of these trips to the shop all the time to buy all of the fancy foods and, 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 and all of that stuff. And, and is there not for some of us almost like an insatiable appetite here where we buy and then what happens? We get it and we've got to move on to the next thing. We buy and then we buy and then we buy and then we buy. Now, of course, we have to recognize you and I are not called to this in Luke chapter 9. You get that? We're not called to a life of asceticism. We're not called to be ascetics. This is for a particular context, a particular time. I've said that a few, few times, but still, come on. Surely there is a challenge for us here at, at St. Peter's. So if you would, I would love for you to consider, a Christian friend, the following I'd love for you to consider the following. Could it be for us that all of this focus on material things and luxuries and commodities, could it be in your life and in my life that that is having a detrimental effect on our dependence upon God? More. Could it be that all of these luxuries and all of our focus on these material things, could it be having a detrimental effect 
on our witness to Jesus Christ? So would the people around us, would they be able to look on at St. Peter's and would they be able to say of us, oh, see these people, by their simple lives, we recognize they really do find their satisfaction all in, in Jesus of Nazareth. Could people be able to say that of me, of you, of our church? And if not, what do we do? Do we not come away from this portion of scripture? Do we not go home? Do we not go to our knees? Do we not pray? Do we not repent? Do we not ask God for help? That we might adopt a simple life that does depend on our creator. And that we might adopt a simple simple life that shows to everyone who looks on that in Christ Jesus and he alone, deep, real, lasting, ultimate contentment really is found. We see here the assignment, the task, but we also see the approach. And then lastly, we see the accommodation. The accommodation here lets them... Third thing, the accommodation. Let's have, very briefly, a scenario. Okay, so let's say this week, um, a family member gets in touch with you. Okay, this is a family member. On the phone, they tell you that they've got a work meeting next week in Manchester. Okay, they've got a good list. I've plucked Manchester out of thin air. Let's go for Birmingham. Why not? They've got a meeting in Birmingham or Manchester next week, but your family member says to you that they are flat out. There's just problems everywhere. They're not feeling well, so they've got a favour to ask you. They ask you to organise their overnight accommodation for them in Manchester or Birmingham. Okay? So we can't do it. We're just, we're just under it. We can't do it. We're not feeling well. Could you please organise this overnight accommodation in Manchester or Birmingham? What are you going to do? Hopefully, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and you're going to say yes to this and you're feeling generous and loving. And the next thing you're going to do is get straight on the internet and you are going to organise probably, let's go for the cheapest uh, travel lodge, although other hotel chains are available. You can organise the cheapest travel lodge that you can in Manchester or Birmingham uh, for these. Sounds nice, doesn't it? They're going to have a great time. Obvious thing for for us to say is that you just couldn't do things like that in the ancient world. You can't even pick up the phone, phone ahead. You can't book something. So crucially here, just before Jesus sends off the 12 out into the unknown, if you like, what he does is he addresses where they are to stay for this placement or for this mission. Now, of course, as with every point that we've had, there's two sides to it. But the first is very, very straightforward. If you would look at verse 4, if we could put verse 4 and 5 up, Tony. So the first side's obvious. Look what he says. Sends them off, but he says, okay, whatever house you enter, stay there. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Is it not just the same as in, in, in the first, the, the, the most recent point? He's saying to them, and don't be fussy, isn't he? He's saying, like, when you get to this town, don't be dotting around the place looking for the swankiest yeah, accommodation that you can find, the most comfortable accommodation. No, if somebody's going to take you in, you, you stay there. Isn't it straightforward, that side of things? In fact, it is so clear and straightforward, it leaves us free 
to look at the more difficult second side. Now, maybe you're drifting off and thinking about your afternoon or your evening ahead. Maybe you're drifting off into subconsciousness. Come back. Come back and look at verse 5, please. What does Jesus say? So if they welcome you, you stay there, but verse 5. But wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet at a testimony against them. Now, we, we know that phrase. What did it refer to? There was a practice in the ancient world that was adopted by some of the most serious rabbis. So when they traveled into Gentile lands, pagan lands, when they returned, they went to great lengths to remove from themselves any trace of that Gentile land. Like they washed and they're picking off dust to try and rid themselves of what they saw as being defilement. Now, do you see what our Lord is doing? He's commandeering that practice and he's saying to his people, if you face rejection and if it's such rejection that people are not even willing to give you basic hospitality, he says to the 12, you adopt that rabbinic practice as a symbol of your own rejection. Rejection of those places, those towns, those people, those homes. Of course, St. Peter's, I mean, we could think and draw lessons from that about our own witness. Jesus is making it clear that rejection is real. Rejection is part and parcel of Christian witness. We, you and I, mustn't have a rose-tinted view of gospel work. It can be really hard. As we try to witness, it, it can be painful. But as we close, we have to view it from the other side, don't we? From the other perspective. Here, Jesus makes it clear there is acceptance of the gospel and there is rejection of the gospel and there is nothing else. There is no middle ground. There is acceptance, you welcome it, or there is rejection, you turn it away and there ain't nothing else. And so you can see what I'm compelled to do this morning. I'm compelled to ask you, which side of the fence are you on? No middle ground. Accepting the gospel, rejecting the gospel. Which is it for you? If it is this morning that you are in unbelief, if there is no relationship, saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to, I have to urge you to see that that is a perilous place to be. Because one day, it's not just going to be disciples. One day, if you remain in your unbelief, it won't just be apostles, but it will be the risen, exalted, all-powerful Son of God who turns away and shakes off the dust, his feet, at you. Hell isn't a figment of someone's imagination. It's not a fantasy that has been made up. The eternal punishment of the all-powerful creator is real and true and coming. And so 
I urge you to hear the gospel, and if you haven't before, to respond. There is a redemption. There is a salvation freely available from God in the life and death and resurrection of his son. And it's yours. And it's yours not through changing your behavior. And it's yours not through meriting or earning it or changing your ways or being part of the church and serving here. It is yours turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus Christ by repentance and faith. So, St. Peter's, or to those watching online, what is it going to be? Do you continue to keep the door locked? I mean, look at the text here. Do you continue to lock the gospel, to lock Jesus out, to keep the door closed? Or this morning, will it be different? This morning, will you, by God's grace, by faith, will you open up? Will you give the gospel home? Will you this morning welcome by faith Jesus Christ into your life? May that be the case and all for the glory of our God. Let's pray.